Hello and welcome to our viewers on cruxinvestor.com, also to our listeners on Cruxcast, our podcast series. And for those of you who are new to Crux Investor, please click the button on the bottom of the corner of the screen and subscribe to our YouTube channel. We're here today with Russ Stanley. He's the Managing Director of Beacon Securities. They're a brokerage in Toronto, Canada. How are you, Russ? I'm great. Thank you. Good How are you? Not too bad. Not Good. too bad. So we've been at a conference this week in London. Cannabis Europa. Cannabis Europa, and we've been talking to the, the great and the good. Seems to, be, seems to be a lot of people from Canada and the US over for that. Yeah, well, we're all looking for the next opportunity, and Europe appears to be it, so. Well, we're going to get onto that in, in a minute. I want, if you can, to explain to our viewers a little bit about what's happened in the Canadian market with regards to cannabis. I, you know, we've seen this rapid ascent, uh, <clears throat> some huge companies created almost overnight. Mm -hmm with not a lot of revenue. Not yet. Uh, not yet. <laughs> and, you know, it's, it's come off a bit. Sure. But why don't you tell us a, a little bit about that? Sure. So uh, uh, Canada, um, as, of, uh, as of October of uh, 2018, uh, adult use uh, is, is now legal in Canada, otherwise known as recreational. So mm -hmm. uh, you know, subject to age restrictions and, and, and where you're allowed to consume it, it's, it's now legal for an adult to walk into a store, a, li a licensed store, and, and buy cannabis, either, right. either dry cannabis for, for smoking or there, you know, there's uh, cannabis oils. Uh, this coming October, some additional regulations uh, are expected to become effective that'll broaden the, the number of products that are legally available. But uh, right. that, that's been the biggest catalyst over the last year. Right, and that, that's on the rec side, yes. right? But a lot of these companies are also in the, on the medis medicinal side, is right. that fair to say, right? Yeah, most of them started off in the, in the medical world. Uh, we've certainly seen uh, maybe a couple years ago when, uh, you know, when the space first started to get investor attention, there, was maybe a, there were maybe a dozen mm -hmm. uh, publicly traded uh, cannabis companies. Uh, there now have to be 50 plus. Uh, there's over 150 companies licensed to cultivate cannabis in right. Canada and uh, you know Canada is a small market of 37 million people so um, you know there'll be some interesting dynamics play out I think over yeah. the next several years yeah but uh, the space has exploded in terms of the number of people growing cannabis and, and that's created some uh, some other kind of ancillary industries as well I don't know much about cannabis I'm not sure many of our viewers do either and that's why we're talking to experts like yourself but it, you know it strikes me that the growing, the producing side of things, mm -hmm. it, it, there may be margin in it now, but like most agricultural plays, they do tend to, the margin does tend to be reduced over time. Is that, do you expect the same thing here? We do. It's uh, we think that's a when and not an if. Uh, cultivation is, uh, it's certainly got challenges, but as, as one, uh, you know, one cannabis producer that, that came from the produce industry said, you know, every crop is is different and has has a learning experience associated with it, but it's still a crop, mm. and uh, that means uh, scale is important, uh, quality control is important. But once you have those things nailed mm. down, uh, it's a matter of time before the before the margins start to erode. So we, we do expect that to happen in cannabis as well. Right. So that that's a, that's a known uh, factor. Um, I mean, also it's quite it's quite helpful for people to sort of understand that because you you've got to think about where you invest. So mm -hmm. if you were looking at investing in the cannabis space, you can look at the producers, processors, distributors, 
and obviously the you know the selling the re the retailers of this in terms of the brands and so forth. So on the on the producers side, if I look at where this is going to go, I'm going to be slightly more cautious about investing there because there's going to have to be a wholesale. Um, well, I don't think there will be as many players in the market yes. in ten years' time. Right? The, yeah, the way there's going to be some winners and losers. There certainly will, and and so in our view, I think the key success factors for for Canadian licensed producers at this point uh, to succeed within Canada um, are the ability to uh, develop value-added products. So mm -hmm. go beyond the dried flour and develop higher margin uh, products with uh, some sort of value added uh, associated with them. Right now, uh, legally, that's limited to oils and, and, uh, and capsules, but we do expect that to expand into edibles and beverages later this year. So strengthen that on that product development front is going to be crucial. Mm. And, and it's also going to be is already evolving into a shelf space battle. Um, every province has its own rules and regulations with respect to yeah. distribution. Yeah. And it's critical for Canadian cannabis companies to have sales relationships into obviously the core provinces of Ontario and Quebec, but into other markets as well. And so uh, when we look at Canadian producers, we ask how well are they developing products that will be able to sustain higher margins over, mm. over a longer period of time? And how well are they actually getting those products onto shelves? Okay, so I mean, the, everyone's looking towards the Canada model as the kind of blueprint for how it could work in the US, how mm -hmm. it could work in Europe. We'll say we'll get onto that in a second. But some companies, I say, almost overnight became billion dollar businesses yeah. with very little revenue. So there's the hope, the expectation, the sentiment driven up. Was that, do you think, based on fact or was it based on emotion? Are these were these companies focused on the right things or did it not matter? Um, I think it. I think it will matter, but I think there was a point right. in time, looking back, where where it didn't matter. I think. Mm. Uh, uh, I think scarcity played a role. A few years ago, there weren't as many uh, investment opportunities available for mm. for investors. I want to play cannabis. Well, how do I do it? Here's a list of 20 names. Right. That's you know that'll narrow it down in a hurry. We now have far more choice, and that's that's good for investors. Hopefully, over time, that means that you know stories with substance survive, and and those that fail to execute or mm. or never really had a sound plan to begin with, those will those will fall by the wayside, and that's healthy. But uh, scarcity certainly played a role, uh, I think, at the outset. Uh, we're now at a point where, uh, you know, growing cannabis is, is, you know, people are beginning to realize that cultivation is just one part of the story. You need to be able to turn that product into something, and then you need to be able to get it onto shelves. And, uh, and we're seeing fewer and fewer companies that are, that are passing those additional milestones. So there were certainly some promises made, and some companies have delivered and others haven't. And have they suffered? Uh, they're starting to. I right. think people are starting to. We're starting to see uh, what we'd actually call security selection. We're starting to see days where you know your screen has a mix of green and red. It's it's not just all names being painted with the same brush every day. I think we're starting to see decisions being made about you know one company not not delivering on commitments or promises made to investors, while another company has done a better job of that. And we're seeing a flow of funds, I think, into those higher quality names. Okay, okay, that's, that, that I find that interesting because to me it's a fairly nascent. Industry. Okay, so and Canada is like two and a half years ahead of everyone. That's nothing, right? It's not very long. No, if I look back to the uh, technology boom, you know who, who the main players were back then. Mm -hmm. You know, most of them not around today. Mm -hmm. uh, so it's, a, di it's a, diff a different sort of industry. I, th I suspect it will be the same here. You've got people who've not been in the space very long telling us are the world's experts on on, on, on this topic. So um, it, let's see how that play, play plays out. Mm -hmm. um, but the other thing that strikes me is, like any in, any other industry, 
one company trying to be all things to all men. So being a producer, you know, processing, distributing, mm -hmm. selling, that's a tough gig because that's multi-skills required. Yes. A lot of money yes. to do that. So people tend to focus and get good at one thing or the other. So the, the I mean, who are the sort of bigger players in, in the Canadian market at the moment? Well, so the, the big handful uh, you'd call, um, you know, you'd, you'd look at Canopy Growth, uh, right. the world's largest can uh, cannabis company. You'd look at uh, Aurora Cannabis. You'd look at uh, Afria, uh, Kronos. Uh, you know, those are those are some of the biggest names in right. the uh, in the space. Uh, then you, you get kind of down into the next tier of producers in terms of scale, and you're looking at uh, uh, CanTrust, uh, Hexo, and Organogram, mm. and these are all companies that are that are involved uh, currently involved throughout every step of the uh, of the chain, as you as you mentioned. Right. I think over time, uh, all of these companies understand that cultivation is going to become increasingly competitive. Right. And so low margin. Low margin. Um, you know, it's made sense to be in that business for now, not just because there there is margin available, but also because it, it secures supply. Yeah. Uh, you know, we we've had a, an undersupply situation in Canada for quite some time, and that was only exacerbated with the legalization of adult use. Mm -hmm. uh, there wasn't quite enough product ready for ready for shelves as mm -hmm. uh, as people had hoped. So, uh, but you know, like all all shortages become surpluses. It's yeah. a question of when and not if. Right. And so that that day is coming, and I think these these all of these companies know that cultivation is not really a part of their long-term game plan and they'd rather spend their time on value-add activities. We've also seen, for example, a, a number of those players uh, look externally to extraction companies. So once you've grown cannabis, in order to convert it to something else, you need to extract it and mm. then use, uh, use the resulting concentrate as a, or, or uh, a distillate in, as an input into another, into another product. Yeah. And while all of these companies have built out their own extraction capabilities, uh, a handful of them have, have gone a step further and employed or recently employed third-party extraction companies, fundamentally refineries for the cannabis industry. It makes sense to me. Yeah, so we are seeing more specialization, and I, I think that, you know, to your point, that's going to intensify as certain parts of the uh, of the supply chain start to develop uh, as cultivation becomes yeah. less attractive to, to anyone who's not doing it at huge scale and ultra low cost. Yeah. Um, we're going to see companies try to uh, try to extricate themselves from that uh, uh, from that part of the part of the business. So, so that so to me that says with producers, there's mm -hmm. going to be a lot of losers, yes, and a few winners, <clears throat> and the winners are going to do things like uh, start putting patents or patents, yep. in the states, onto certain strains or varieties, um, as they're doing in agriculture today in, in the U.S. You can't grow certain types of potatoes mm -hmm. because the IP resides mm -hmm. with one company, so you need to get a license. So. And that's one potential uh, an area where someone could be looking uh, making an investment. That would make sense. Mm -hmm. But trying to pick a winner otherwise is going to be a bit hit and miss over the next. It's going while. to be a, it's going to be a challenge, and it's, it's complicated by the fact that you know we think that the, the best margins are in manufacturing. Right. Branded. Okay. Let's come on to that. But yeah, you know you're limited in Canada right now with the extent to which or the extent to which you can actually package products in a, in a way that's appealing. Uh, you know, most people look at the way these cannabis products are packaged in stores and, and say it's a very clinical look. It, it you know, and, and that's for regulatory compliance reasons and not because that's that's not a marketer, marketing yeah. person's dream to look at that packaging and say that, you know, and you, that are looks you pretty. Are you talking on the medicinal side with the CBD? Oh, or it's are you talking that on it's the both. Rack? It's on both. both. Right. So okay. the, uh, the adult use products themselves, there's a lot of limitations around the way they can be packaged, primarily to avoid making products attractive to underage 
kind of like the cigarette market. Very similar, right? And so the yeah the packaging is very similar to to tobacco products, and, right? And uh, and that's why uh, not surprisingly, you know, you've seen cannabis companies uh, recruit people out of the tobacco industry, right? Because there probably isn't another industry where people have become very expert at selling a product that their government doesn't want them to sell. Yeah. So uh, you know, it's yeah. it's a, that's a challenge that you know that industry has found a way to navigate uh, and and incre in an increasingly difficult environment and, and tobacco in Canada or pardon me cannabis in Canada right now faces very similar challenges. So, but let's come back to where I think some of the innovation will make a difference in mm -hmm. them that's in the processing side okay so you, you'd say for the rack side it's there's, you know, what, what do they actually, they process the flour and they create what? Right now it's, uh, legally, it's just uh, oils and capsules filled with oils. Right. Uh, later this year, we're expecting to see more products hit shelves, uh, specifically edibles. And, right. And, uh, and concentrates for, for vaping and uh, beverages as well, so. Yeah, we saw, we, we actually met someone last night um, at the conference, um, he, he does that, the liquids. Yeah. Which they which you can pop into beers, whiskeys, wake up without a hangover. Sounds good. Yeah, it's the uh, dream, right? Yeah. And if so, only we drank. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and obviously in regular drinks, it, you, you know, makes you, you, you feel good and a bit, yep. bit more energy. So some, that's what I mean about this innovation. Now, yep. but, but even that guy was saying he had a proprietary technology which yeah. allowed him to do this right where and he would license this out to other people you know so he was in he was in conversation with a large drinks company mm -hmm. one of the world's one of the world's largest top three we'll call it to allow them to add this do you see do you think those things are going to be faddish i mean just momentary or do you think there's some longevity to things like that well when it's specific to beverages there's a debate uh there's a you know there there the, that category is legal in a number of u.s states that have they'll legalize adult use so we mm. we can even though canada from a federal perspective is is uh seemingly a few years ahead of the u.s from a from a regulatory uh, perspective at, at a product level in terms of what's legal in a given state the US is a good example or a good window on the future for right. for Canada and 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 so we see uh, beverage products being you know with with varying degrees of success in some markets some of its uh, technology around uh, around actually getting the, the cannabis product to dissolve properly so mm. uh, some of its technology and some of it you know is is perhaps about uh, getting consumers to change habits you know if you're at a dinner party uh, you know you if you're always going to be drinking wine, it, it, you know, do you want to drink your cannabis or would you rather eat your cannabis or vape your cannabis? So right. there's a consumer habit uh, or a user habit there that, that needs, to be, uh, needs to be addressed or marketed around. But uh, that's an example where, where branding and where IP could play yeah. a tremendous role in value yeah. creation for, uh, for investors. And, and we'll see more of that. But the beverage categories had mixed success in the US. But because I've, I've worked in the beverage space, I've also worked with cigarettes, uh, BAT, um, and product innovation, which comes from the processing side, mm -hmm. drives the marketing activity. So mm -hmm. the, the extent to which the delivery of the cannabis, whether mm -hmm. it be medicinal or recreational, um, is important because mm -hmm. it, it, them, it gives the marketing people something to work with, the, the branding people right. something to work with. So it, it'd be interesting to see where these collaborations come from, you know, as you say, People from outside need to come in with the relevant prerequisite skill sets right. to, to help this evolve over time. It'll be interesting to see how it plays out, but uh, we're, we're everyone's still learning as they as they go. 
Yeah, I, th I yeah. think that I think that's the I think that's really imp uh, important to state yeah. here is that it's it's early days. Mm -hmm. We spoke to maybe six guys last night at a function after the conference. And probably got seven different answers as to. I, I got five different answers, <laughs> <laughs> which which surprised me um, in terms of how companies develop markets. Right. Okay. Um, they were talking specifically about Europe, and I think there. Some of them think it's going to be a breeze, and some of them, you know, say it's a little mm -hmm. bit more complicated than that. Um, but maybe some lessons to be learned about what you did in Canada, and certainly what's going on in the states. I mean, can you, let's get into that because sure. I, I think that's fascinating. Because yep. you've you've got each state has got the ability to uh, make let let this work mm -hmm. or not, mm -hmm. and then at the federal level, you've kind of got some ambiguity as well. I mean, so what's been ha happening in the States? Uh, the U.S. Is, is a fascinating market, perhaps like a lot of Canadians. I spend more time working at the U.S. than I do at Canada. Yeah, yeah. But um, yeah, it's a fascinating market. As, as it's a big market. It's a big market. You know, as, you know, as a Canadian, we, we just assume 10 to 1. Whatever an industry yeah. size is in Canada, just assume it's 10 nice. times bigger in the U.S., you're probably in the range. So yeah. huge, uh, huge market. Uh, but it is a collection of 50 different markets. Each state uh, has, has its own way of dealing with it. Importantly, it's still, cannabis is still illegal at mm. the federal level. Mm. Um, now, medical uh, use in, in, state, in, in states where medical has been um, uh, legalized, mm. uh, there's uh, a basically a, a, an amendment to the, uh, uh, to the spending bill in the U.S. that has right. been passed a number of times since 2014. Well, what does that mean, the, the spending bill? Well, basically, you know, the, the, the federal government's own spending bill, there's right. been a rider attached to it that protects uh, medical uh, businesses from federal enforcement. So medical has, right. has received this this protection from uh, from the Department of uh, uh, Department of Justice for several years now. And and recently, uh, the House passed a version of that rider that extends that protection to adult use. So right. that would be a huge win if uh, if that makes it into the final version. But otherwise, it's still federally illegal. Um, so roughly 33, 34, 35, depending on how you, how you count them, states mm -hmm. have legalized medical use right. in some way. We're now basically Illinois earlier this week when Governor Pritzker signed off on yeah. the bill there. We now have uh, 11 states that have legalized uh, adult use as well. So roughly just over 100 million Americans now live in states that have legalized adult oh, use at the state level, even though technically it's still illegal at the right. federal level. Now there's, there's a couple of bills, uh, well there's several uh, of note, but there's uh, two pieces of legislation that are ma making their way through the, uh, uh, through the federal government's uh, process uh, that could legalize or, or at least provide some degree of safety for cannabis at the federal level. But until something's done, it's not done. Right, so. okay, so, so people are looking at America as the next Canada. We times. love hearing that, by the way. Ten but times, yeah. right? Ten times. We're looking for ten times. But, but the reality is it's taken a lot longer than people have hoped as mm -hmm. well. So mm -hmm. what's happened? You've, you've seen a lot of the U.S. companies come list on the TSX. That's right. But that's short, short term. Well, they've, li they've listed on the Canadian Securities Exchange. So that's uh, something we should talk about as well. But uh, Let's do it now. Sure. So, um, so the TSX and the TSX Venture, uh, the venture being uh, yep. the junior to the to the TSX, those are those would be traditional homes for Canadian listed companies. Right. Uh, the Canadian Securities Exchange was until several years ago virtually unheard of. 
Okay. Uh, it had been around for, for some time, but there really weren't that many companies. And as an analyst, I had never written a report yeah. on a CSE listed company until about two years ago. So uh, the exchange has really made a name because the TSX and the TSXV yeah. have uh, current policies say they won't list a company that is violating U.S. federal law. So these U.S. companies that came public, uh, many of them last fall, multi-billion dollar market caps, were effectively forced to list on an exchange that nobody had heard of right. until over the last, you know, the last few years. So, so it's been a fascinating uh, story to watch because the CSE is viewed as a very junior exchange. Right. Um, and, uh, you know, like I said, I, I never would have pictured myself writing up companies that were listed there and only But that there. strikes me as a so kind of walk around. You know, people have of said, course. Well, we, yeah. we can't do it here, but here's, the wording over here is slightly different. So, yeah. but the Can the Canadian government have allowed this. Mm -hmm. They welcomed it. I think you know certainly cannabis is, you know, lot, most provinces has been accepted for a long time mm -hmm. in terms of growing and, and use. Mm -hmm. um, but American companies have had to come up here because the U.S. government has not made their mind up yet. That's right. Th and there's some indications. There's there's uh, there's been progress. Right. There have been some some wins recently that we'd call you know I think you know people will look back and say that was an important turning point when uh, for example the uh, the House uh, of Representatives uh, a little earlier this year uh, passed uh, a, a bill that would uh, allow uh, banks in the U.S. to serve state legal cannabis yeah. companies without fear of penalty or prosecution. So that would be a, a huge step, and that that one has what you might call political legs because that will help take cash off the street. These companies are still right. largely cash-run businesses. You are talking physically about bags of cash right. uh, that get moved, people being paid in cash, suppliers being paid in cash, and that's that's just not safe. So uh, that it's the, the legislation is called the Safe Banking Act. Yeah. Uh, its next stop is the Senate. Uh, it's not a slam dunk to get through the, the U.S. Senate because the Senate's still uh, controlled by the Republican Party. Right. But it does have a lot of support uh, from both uh, Democrats and, and Republicans in the Senate. So uh, the, there's optimism that this legislation could get passed in 2019. And, uh, and that's limited to banking, but it would be a huge step and, and okay. easily the most meaningful piece of legislation we would have seen relating to cannabis at, okay. the, at the federal level. I'd love level. to get into that, but I've got, got to keep bringing this back to sure. points which the, like the investor folks watching this might yep. like. So question for you is, you've got these American companies coming up onto the CSE. Mm -hmm. Are they going to stay there or are they going to move back? I think uh, if uh, they will list on the U.S. exchange as soon as they can. Why? Uh, because they'll have a broader and deeper investor audience. Uh, there are a lot of in investors out there that won't buy uh, a, a CSE-listed company. Yep. Uh, there are a lot of investors out there that, you know, even if they were TSX-listed, they would pressure the company to list on, a, on, a, on either New York or NASDAQ. So uh, they will want to do that to, to get a bigger listing. Uh, it's their home market, and home field advantage is, is always something yep. that people prefer to have, so, right. uh, which is understandable. But you know, primarily it's about, it's about you know, a broader investor base, a deeper investor base. There's still a lot of investors that haven't touched cannabis yet mm. uh, that run a considerable amount of money. And until and unless those companies are accepted on a U.S. exchange, they may stay on the sidelines. But once mm. they get on, you know, this is about taking down your cost of capital. And that, you know, basically that means trying to get your share price up. A good yeah. way to do that would be to get a U.S. exchange listing. We've certainly seen that the Canadian 
companies, which of course aren't violating any any federal laws, so yeah. they are a, they are able to list. They've been able to get listings on New York or Nasdaq. Yeah. They, on average, get a significantly higher valuation multiple than companies limited to the TSX or the venture. So, there's a, a very clear uh, you know cost of capital win to to getting a U.S. listing. So we'd expect them to go as soon as they can. Okay, so people watching this should also be watching those companies to see when yes. they move. Either get in now or you know, wait, wait, just wait till they move. Yeah. Whatever you want to do. Um, let's get back to distribution. Sure. One of the four pillars. So distribution to me. Now, this is an area rife with licensing and permitting issues. And uh, politics, too. And politics. Mm -hmm. You know, it's, it's a very interesting space. And it's, mm -hmm. it's where the, um, the timeline is, is unknown. I, I, producing, I get. Timeline, mm -hmm. easy. Uh, the processing. Kind of easy, expensive, but but easy, in terms of t understanding the timeline. But with with this side of things, this is where it becomes difficult. Not just for the states, but something else we're going to talk about in a minute, which is Europe. Okay, um, is how do companies tippy toe their way around licensing issues in the states in terms of getting getting this through? Is it what is the, what is the process that they follow? Um, Every state handles it differently, and when it comes to distribution, the most most interesting state is California, which right. which, as you can imagine, is reputationally yes, reputationally yeah. um, you know the biggest cannabis market in the in the yeah. galaxy, in the known yeah. universe, yeah. perhaps. So, um, but interestingly, and this is where uh, uh, where where and why we've seen some some transactions in yeah. the distribution space. Um, the, the, the regulations in California give the local municipalities a lot of control mm. over whether or not they even want to host cannabis right. operations. And, and while California, to everyone outside of California, we would think that the state is universally supportive of cannabis. In reality, uh, the vast majority of municipalities don't currently allow cannabis companies okay. to set up shops. So actual distribution is, is no slam dunk. They have a separate license for distribution in uh, in California because the market is so big and, mm -hmm. and has that added layer of complexity where there's some markets where you're where you're allowed and some markets where you're not mm -hmm. and uh, every other state uh, no other state I, I don't think has a separate license for distribution at this point and maybe yeah. maybe that'll come but right now California is the only one that has a separate license just to distribute cannabis and so we've seen a couple of the bigger multi-state operators uh, announce plans to acquire companies mm. who are focused on distribution in California because it is such a big market and such an important part of the value chain of the supply chain that it's worth focusing on yeah, and uh, and a couple of companies have built some real scale around that but it's it's uh, it's no easy feat to actually get your product onto shelves in it's California, uh, yeah. it, as attractive and as big a market as it is, yeah. uh, it's it's a lot of work to get your product out of your out of your lab and, and onto a shelf. So absolutely, and so I mean, for, for me, when I'm looking at this from from outside, like you know, what are the companies that are going to make it? It's like the question I ask myself is, will regular wholesale distributors mm -hmm. be able to take you know cannabis on as a product, whether it be CBD, TSC, whatever? Um, and get it into the various markets. So could a regular wholesale distributor be that person, or do you think there'll be specialist distribution companies set up because of the regulation components? I, I think we're gonna see specialization continue. Right. Uh, it's important to know that because every state regulates uh, cannabis differently in the US uh, and it's federally illegal, mm. uh, it's also currently illegal to move product from one state yeah. to another. So yeah. every, every state is an island. 
And while there might, there ordinarily outside of that, there would be sound business reasons for having something that was a bit more centralized. You're not, we're not going to see that in cannabis for quite some time. So, so right now, uh, if you're distributing cannabis as a standalone business, you're doing it in California, and unfortunately, you're not, you're not allowed or not supposed to be moving product outside of California. That's fascinating, because yeah. it says to me that at some point, when each state kind of gets to the point where you know, it is legal on the adult and the, on the medicinal side, you know, there's a roll-up. Mm -hmm. of these distribution companies to kind yep. of create, create a sort of large, it, you, there's a lot of money to be made there, I, it seems to me. Because there, that's, there will be. that's the hardest, but you're telling me, and I believed it before, is the mm -hmm. hardest piece of the jigsaw puzzle so far. I think it is. Um, you know, uh, Cresco Labs just announced plans to uh, acquire, uh, acquire a company called Origin House, which right. is, uh, uh, you know, has uh, a presence on or has penetration into uh, 70 or 80 percent of the dispensaries in California. Right. Um, Cureleaf has announced plans to acquire a company called uh, Select, which right. uh, has similar distribution strengths. So we've seen some of the larger multi-state operators yeah. look at California and say, "We need to get, we need to get big there. We need to do it in the right way." So mm -hmm. we need, you know, the linchpin, so to speak, or the choke point is distribution. Yeah. And they've they've responded by or, or moved ahead by, you know, announcing plans to acquire companies that have focused on that. Uh, historically. So right. it's a fascinating market. It's obviously big and, and everyone outside of it would, would think it's slam dunk to build a cannabis business in, can in California, yeah. but that's not the case. It's a tough market to navigate and uh, these two acquisition targets have done a good job doing it so far. The people looking at the e European Union as a kind of you know, similar setup to the United States and I guess in many ways it, it is. You've got independent countries with their own rules, laws, mm -hmm. regulations, etc. Understanding and you know, development stage in relation to cannabis and cannabis products, hemp included. Mm. Um, a few people have told us it's going to be relatively easy. You just, you just apply for the licenses and, and we're done. I think you know what I think by yeah. my, yeah. <laughs> and you've got some other people who, having experienced what America's going through, right. been through and going, continues to go through, um, the thing, it, it will take a bit longer to do that. Mm -hmm. But the general sense was it's not a may have disagreed on timing, mm -hmm. but what they're all agreed on, it's happening. Yes. So for people to try and work out who the winners will be is, is what I'm trying to get, get a sense of um, here, which is why I you know, stick with those you know, four pillars as it, as it were. So mm -hmm. on the distribution side, I mean, it's even further back than the, than the US operations in Europe, right? Mm -hmm. So w what are your hopes for Europe? Where do you see it today, and where do you think it could, could go? Yeah, and, and, and this is tough. I think I think when when uh, when when I get together with my peers, we kind of say, "Is Europe where Canada was 2015? Is it 2016? Is it 2012? We don't know." Uh, <laughs> if there's a, if I had to if I had to say there's a consensus, it's it's kind of 2014, 2015. Wow, and that's, uh, that's so it'll be, it'll be it'll be interesting. Uh, <clears throat> a number of the Canadian producers, though, they they've seen the opportunity in mm. Europe. It's it's obviously a much larger population base than in. Canada, so a number of times, right? yeah, a number of Canadian companies have made efforts to uh, uh, to work their way into Europe. I think that the uh, potential mistake or the risk that a number of them are going to bump into is the belief that uh, uh, that it is a common market, and that you know it's simply a matter of establishing a beachhead in one country, and then the whole market opens up for you. Yeah. And I think what what uh, many of us expected, and, and certainly you know we concluded from our from our time here at Cannabis Europe, is that that's 
That's not the case. You know, every have you heard of uh, Brexit? Yeah, if you yeah, heard of that? Yeah, it's a bit of a bit of. We, a, we weren't sure if anyone had heard the of that. Right. So yeah, it's uh, so yeah, it's yeah. Uh, it's uh, that's that's you know, case in we, point. So it's going to be a, a really mm. complex market for companies to navigate, and uh, you know, a lot of Canadian LPs have been chasing Germany, for example, and see that as the. Could, but there's a couple of companies in Germany <clears> now, mm -hmm. cannabis, who work in Canada, primarily Canadian companies yeah. that have that have uh, made inroads. I think Aurora Cannabis is a standout yeah. there. Kronos. Yeah. Uh, as well, so uh, there have been some Canadian companies that have made moves. A number of them have participated in the RFP process around uh, around establishing uh, cultivation in Germany. So, uh, you know, it's it's a huge market. So, what do you think so about it? Do you think that first mover advantage will help them, or do you think at some point, uh, like other industries, people are just going to come in, take them out, build their own? System. I, th I think that you know, ca cannabis as a product is so politicized that there's mm. always going to be a degree, or at least the excuse for nationalism. And so, I, you know, I think that if you're a, a company from from any country other mm. than the country you're trying to target, you're going to have to do it very carefully. That's usually going to mean partnering with a local provider, and then you've got to get the right partner and the right economics. So, mm. I think it, you know, Germany could be a huge market opportunity. But it's got to be done uh, carefully. I don't, you know, I think that it's a, it's an earlier stage market. For example, from a standpoint of what cannabis can be prescribed for, uh, if based on what I'm hearing, I think physicians are a little bit less or a little bit more cautious in prescribing cannabis than perhaps they are in some other markets. So there's a number of different different factors at play. But from a from a corporate perspective, uh, Canada is is far more clear in how things are how business is done in cannabis, and in a lot of other markets that's still evolving. So you you probably need a local partner, mm. uh, even if even if it's not forced by regulation. Then you're you're still going to need a local partner just for for practical business purposes because it's a different market. But do you think? I mean, you use words nationalism. Okay, nationalism is, is great, but then you, you break that down into conservative, liberal, mm -hmm. which I think you know, the Canadian market is perceived as being. Um, we over here in the UK, a bit more conservative. Um, you've got a lot of states, uh, so countries across mm -hmm. Europe in the same way. Waves of you know populism happening mm -hmm. and nationalism, etc. But it, it fundamentally, under under that sits these kind of very conservative views, uh, in a way that perhaps Canada and California, are less so. So, do you think those things are inhibitors too? Is it because that affects politics, and politics is where the yeah. decisions get made, right? I think so. I think that you know one of the one of the items. So there's there's a, a compound in in cannabis called CBD. For example, right. and and we'll use that as as, as a as a good talking point here. CBD is uh, is a compound in cannabis, uh, the second most common one after THC. CBD does not. So explain those two things for everyone. So sure. THC, <clears throat> CBD. THC is what gets you high, so to speak. That's right. the psychoactive component. Uh, it is believed to have some some medicinal properties. It doesn't yeah. just get you high, but that is when you know when people and when you commonly think of someone smoking cannabis. And, that's it. That's, THC. It's THC that's getting that. Getting and, that and that's down. the thing, people. Most people rail against the, yes. because it's a drug. It's a gateway drug. It's viewed as a gateway drug. Right. It's it's an intoxicant. You know, yeah. there are concerns. Most of the most of the concerns in Canada and the U.S. around uh, around legalizing that that are are around uh, road safety. Yeah. 
Yeah. So, so, so I'm not, we're not, I'm not we're, neither we're, we're of us coming, saying you know, that that's a, we're not saying necessarily it's a gateway drug, it's perceived it's as It's perceived such. as being as, okay. as okay. that. Now, there's the other compound is CBD, right. which uh, has a number of uh, potential medical applications. Right. Uh, in fact, a, a drug was uh, approved by the FDA last year that's, uh, that's used for a, a couple of rare forms of pediatric uh, epilepsy yep. that's based on CBD. Yeah, so CBD, CBD doesn't get you high, it's non-psychoactive. It says it's purely medicinal, like I've used it for tennis elbow. It worked within half an hour. It was amazing, um, and I've, we've seen videos of people right. with you know various various ailments, um, you know, not cured, but made to feel a lot better than right. they were. They may may control shaking or. It, it's known for anti-inflammatory properties. Great for that, and yeah. so um, I think a lot of people are, are starting to learn about it. it it's yeah. become uh, uh, very trendy in certain parts of the U.S. We've seen a number of big box retailers mm. start to embrace the, the product where they can. Yeah. Yeah. But it's it's still very misunderstood. And, and for, to bring back to your question around politics and around voters, uh, there are a lot of people that still don't know that CBD doesn't get you high. Right. So they see a CBD product on a shelf, or they, you know, someone offers them a CBD product to try, and they think, "No, thank, I don't want to get high. That's exactly. that's going to get." Well, me I, high. I, I, I saw this. This is terrible. I, I, I saw um, a, a clip of a sheriff in the United States. Those are always great clips. Great <laughs> clips where he went and closed down fourteen uh, health stores because they were stocking CBD because he thought CBD was THC. Right. This is a sheriff of mm -hmm. a town, seemingly educated guy. Local Maybe not. head of law enforcement. There you go, mm -hmm. right? Um, confusing to them, going to be confusing to people who are, who are not you know, aware of he's, that. He's, that a, difference, he's right? front and center on the, on the issue. So to you anyone think. who's a little one step removed from that, yeah, it's very yeah. easy to be misinformed. You, you or, think, right? Yeah. Which kind of comes on to um, <clears throat> the fourth pillar, mm -hmm. okay? Um, which is the which is the selling side of things? Okay, so first thing that needs to happen is education. Yes. Okay, so we're clearly saying this medicinal, which there's probably going to be a lot of wholesale mm -hmm. selling going on. So that's you know sales guys going around in the cars and talking to wholesalers mm -hmm. of this product, either into uh, doctors, right uh, into doctors' offices in some cases, sure. or sure. or you know whole food type establishments or health health establishments where they may be selling these types of you know aids for people and then there's going to be direct to public to so retail marketing mm -hmm. as we'll, we'll, we'll call it um, that education process someone's got to pay for that it's going to yeah. take some time mm -hmm. not going to get it right uh, again there's a, there's a time lag here so again like any any uh, product that's trying to get into it, any innovator who's trying to break into the market, it's going to take time to do that. It and will. Someone's going to pay for that. Someone's going to pay for it. At first, it's going to be, you know, it's, it's effectively going to be early adopters who are willing to pay up for the product. Yeah. You know, they'll be effectively subsidizing that by willing to pay up for the product for, you know, sometimes because they like trying new products. Yep. Some, sometimes if you're like one of my, one of my friends, you, you just love to tell people the new product you're trying. So, um, yeah. but you know, so some of that will be just economics playing out where, you know, the first people out of the gate who are buying the product are going to pay up for it because there won't be that many providers of it. There won't be that many suppliers. So they'll be able to uh, price it uh, yeah. appropriately to try to recover some of that spend. So you're right. Um, you know, I do think that that'll be, that'll be a problem. That, and the other risk is that if you don't make it easy for people to spend money on education, you're, you're probably going to make it easy for people to miseducate. 
and that's that's a, a tremendous risk. Uh, yeah. You're no doubt going to have products that are making health claims that are either um, unsubstantiated or just or just just plain nonsense. So yeah. that's that's uh, frankly, I think the risk in in any sort of and that's a risk in any health product or any any product we've seen that's mm. purported to have health benefits. There's going to be somebody out there, you know, spinning a web of of interesting tales Snake around, oil. yeah, what it yeah. can do for you, and and so we d we we do think these products have a lot of uh, have a lot of potential health benefits, but uh, there there is going to be some aggressive selling out there, aggressive claims made, and and regulators are going to play a, a huge role in in terms of what they'll allow. The risk, from a commercial standpoint, is that regulators are going to take a uh, start strict and then relax over time approach. Which is, uh, you know, almost the, you know, what, what we've seen to some extent in in Canada, where mm -hmm. CBD products are are effectively required to be packaged the same way THC products are, and uh, what that means is that the public doesn't necessarily, or they have to self-educate, but otherwise the public doesn't yeah. necessarily come to understand that they're they're very different compounds. It's, it's interesting because you've got two tracks going on here. Okay, yeah. I, I can I can understand retail is going to be a marketing fest, millions and millions of dollars spent mm -hmm. on packaging and creating brands mm -hmm. and, you know, reaching by online programs, kind of like, you know, the, the, uh, the vape, uh, Jules, mm -hmm. vape, um, they did a great job and that's to, you know, millennial, or in fact, millennial, they're getting old now. They are. Millennials are getting You're old now. We have to come up with a new name. We need a new name. <laughs> um, uh, audience, he, are sold to via Instagram or, or social media just generally sold mm -hmm. so, social media. I, I can see where these innovative products will be able to do that. We've had loads of those types of companies approach mm -hmm. us. Companies which have got amazing branding skill, but no business acumen whatsoever, mm -hmm. but they've had a, they're going to be billionaires. Oh, that never happens. Right, right? okay, okay. But I, I can see why that would work because to mm -hmm. me that's just regular re, uh, retail marketing, branding, selling. I get that. Right. The bit that interests me, and it's probably going to be a bigger market, is the medicinal use. Mm -hmm. So ha have the pharmaceutical companies worked out how they monetize this? Because the, the pharmaceutical companies spent a lot of time lobbying tens of millions of dollars in the mm -hmm. States because they don't want people coming, entrance coming in, competition, right. all of that. Do you see some of these bigger cannabis companies being taken out, or, or maybe they already have been? Or partially or, or, or entirely, by pharmaceutical companies looking to corner certain parts of the market. Because if these products are become more and more accepted in terms of you know, anti-inflammatory or mm -hmm. whatever, whatever you know, people are uh, saying they can do. We've, we've seen a handful of what we call partnerships right. uh, between, uh, between major pharmaceutical companies and, and, uh, and it's really right now, it's limited to Canada, Canadian. Because uh, they've got the distribution, right? right. So, that's, so uh, that's exciting. They've got the product. Um, but to come back, I think, to your, your question around how big pharma's responding, or, or you know, so far they've been extraordinarily cautious. And, and to your point, they do spend who a knows lot. how much money on, on lot. lobbying. But a lot of that is spent defensively. You know, they're spending it trying to protect market share or defend themselves in some mm -hmm. other way, protect themselves from new entrants, defend their IP portfolio. It's not necessarily spent on offense, which is going out and finding a new uh, market opportunity. So I, I think that I wonder if culturally uh, they haven't seen or, or they aren't as focused on the growth opportunity yet. And so it might require, uh, you know, more product development that directly threatens their position in, for example, mm. uh, pain medication, 
um, you know, if, if we see more traction for yeah. cannabis product alternatives to opioids, if we see those products really start to take share away, away from uh, traditional pain medication, then that's when I think you're, you know, you might see big pharma start to become uh, more involved in the uh, in the cannabis space. It, it, it unfortunately might come not as a, not as a you know a proactive growth uh, maneuver, but rather as a as a response to someone eating their lunch for them. So. Yeah, you you say that, but again, we we've seen lots of instances where if we if we Let's take insulin. It's about a buck a bag here. In the States, it's over 350 bucks, right? Mm -hmm. it's, it's nuts. From, from you know, something which was given away for free by the, 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 the guy who invented it, right? Mm -hmm. um, if pharmaceutical companies do get involved, you know, they make a lot of money on their you know, or orphan drugs. Mm -hmm. Yeah, they make this, they've got some big brands out there which they've, they've, they've created and they charge a lot of money for it as well. For, relatively you know, minor ailments. Um, is there danger that if pharmaceutical companies get involved that the pricing of cannabis products or associated products could get out of control? Uh, there is risk there, and, and I, I think to bring it back to one of your earlier questions around IP, uh, that'll mm -hmm. be the, the real, the yeah. real uh, you know, the real risk would be if, 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 if you can patent just about everything and then the big pharma gets involved, and yeah, that's the scenario we could see. Right. Um, you know, when it comes to cannabis, uh, it's very difficult to patent uh, a strain. Uh, but it is, it is possible. I think it is possible. There have been some isolated cases where, where some things have been done. Um, there's also been relatively little uh, work done on IP in general, just because until recently there were limited options for actually enforcing yeah. your your IP portfolio. But um, we we have we have spoken to a company. Well, I won't say, say where, but a company which has got a strain which they've got the intellectual property on, and it's very fast, you know, very right. high THC component to it, or the ability to extract high, high levels, and they have got a, a patent on it. And they are restricting people on who uses it. So, so there, I mean, there, there it, is a there is the risk there. there. Um, it'll be interesting to see the way it the way it plays out. I, yeah. I think it's 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 going to prove tougher to build IP around around it. Um, you know, okay. one of the, one of the one of the interesting uh, points that came out of a of a luncheon that we uh, we just attended was uh, the view that that big pharma loves to deal in active pharmaceutical ingredients. They love a love a white powder. Yeah. It is one compound, and and a lot of, a lot of what what uh, people uh, benefit from or feel when they consume cannabis is what is the result of what you might call the entourage effect, which means it's not just one compound; mm. it's the hundred or so compounds and terpenes and other various constituents within cannabis that are having an impact. So right. it's it's a group effort, it's a team effort, team if you effort. Will, rather than just one <laughs> compound doing the work. So right. from both an R&D product yeah. development standpoint and from an IP, yeah. uh, an intellectual property standpoint, uh, these the, those are two things that that are that are very different uh, beasts for traditional big pharma to get involved in. So it'll right. be uh, it'll take time for that type of scenario to uh, to evolve if it if it ever did. So the risk is there, but I just don't see it being imminent. Okay, okay. So I, I know we're a bit tight for time. You've got you've got somewhere else to be in a second, but, but you have agreed to talk to us on a regular basis yes. online. So I, thank you very much. And I know you're going to hold me to it. So. Oh, I am. I am, Russ. I am. <laughs> um, but if I could just finish with one question. So if if we agreed that there are kind of four blocks, these four blocks. So mm -hmm. you can be a producer, you can be a processor, mm -hmm. 
you can uh, be a distributor or you can sell cannabis products, whether it be medicinal or adult use or any any variant there, thereof. Which space would you play in? Well, that's a that's a great question and a very tough one to answer. Um, I'm going to go with producer for now. Okay, for now. For now. Uh, I but think in, in five years. In five years, uh, at that point, uh, you know, I think retail is is going to be a, a real opportunity as well. Okay. Because uh, where do the margins sit? I mean, today they right, right now, if you're if you're making the product, uh, you're, that's where right. the margins are, are best. Um, you know, it would seem that gross margins. If, if you own, if you're basically, you know, if you control your inputs or have low cost inputs and and you're making a branded product out of that, you're doing gross margins in some markets of 60, 70 plus right. percent, right? It's great business. Will um, that hold? Uh, I think that it'll hold for the winners of the branding war. If you can develop the Coca-Cola of cannabis, whatever product might be, um, whatever format it is, then, then you're going to be able to, to continue to produce some great margins. There will be some right. losers along the way, but they're, they're that field is wide open. There isn't a Coca-Cola of cannabis yet. So that's why I'd say that that's where I'd love to, love to be fighting right now because there isn't a, an 800-pound gorilla uh, in, that, in that area yet. Okay. And so it's a, it's a relatively wide open field. Eventually, and maybe it's not five years out, maybe it's, maybe it's less than that, maybe it's three years out, mm -hmm. um, you know, you're really going to want to be as close to the consumer as possible, and that's where retail is going to be increasingly important. So that's interesting, because if, if I look at our you know, retail experience, uh, certainly in terms of the marketing side of things, you're, you're going to have lots of people trying to just insert themselves into that food chain. Absolutely. It would be interesting, again, to see who the winners are there. You know, can there be a Coca-Cola in this space? Mm -hmm. We shall see. We shall. Ross, thank you. Thanks for your time. Appreciate the thank insight. You. It's yeah. a very good first introduction to cannabis to certainly to the UK audience uh, and for those you know wider field perhaps haven't looked at cannabis as an investment option. We'll get into some detail next time we speak on a couple of topics uh, around investing. That'd be great. Thanks for your time. Thank you for yours. Thank you very much for watching our video. We do aim to give you informed and intelligent information with which to make your investment decisions. So if you liked what you just saw, please give us a thumbs up. And if you want to see more insightful, in-depth, honest and unbiased interviews, then please click the subscribe button. So thanks again for watching and we look forward to seeing you again soon.